my dad's uh, indirect commander, he shot himself. When the Soviet Union collapsed, he said, like, hey, I can't. I, my life is, I, I'm loyal to the party, I'm loyal to my country, but now I'm actually nobody. So he shot himself. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. In this episode, we continue Andre's story with his sometimes harrowing memories of how he became a child refugee in West Germany. Now, if you like what you're hearing, then for the price of a couple of coffees a month, you'll be helping to cover the show's increasing costs and keep us on the air. Plus, you get the sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster too. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. You can also help us by leaving reviews on iTunes or with your podcast app provider. It really helps us get new guests on the show. You can also stay bang up to date with what's happening at Cold War Conversations by subscribing to our emailing list, which is on our homepage, coldwarconversations.com. So back to today's episode. Andre starts with the gradual building of unrest in East Germany and his family's dramatic move to West Germany. It is a sad story in parts, but ultimately you hear of Andre's triumph over adversity and ending up working for the US forces in Germany. We welcome back Andre to our Cold War conversation. You said you were born in 1984, and in 1989 there's unrest in East Germany. Were you aware that things were changing at that age? Yes, um, not me personally, because as I mentioned, I was a kid, but my parents, um, my dad and my mom together, um, already the 80s, not only 89 or 88, the 80s in general, had something in the air. Something was, my, my dad and my mom and a lot of other people who I know, they explained the same, they had expressed the same feeling that something was going to change, something so something was in the air, even nobody was talking about it, but everybody had that feeling. And in East Germany, what happens is that uh, with those movements, uh, you know, for freedom, etc., um, the Germans, the East Germans, with time lost not only, I wouldn't say respect, they were not scared. Um, they have permitted themselves so much things which they wouldn't do before. So there was one case where uh, there was a maneuver with uh, vehicles uh, for the communication, and there were also around six trucks with the SS rockets. So the Satan, the one which were actually scaring uh, the vest oh, very the SS much. SS twenty. Yes, exactly on the yeah. on the trucks because um, you couldn't locate them easily, and they could actually start from anywhere um, the war, and nobody yeah, so these, could track them. So these were the SS-20 medium-range nuclear missiles? Absolutely correct, yes, yes. Yeah. And my dad told me that once they were in the woods, 
uh, they have set up a parameter, a security parameter. So they pulled out uh, special uh, sensors so nobody can actually get close to it. And the training was going on. And um, soldiers were placed on, uh, for example, on areas where they needed to stop anybody, uh, not by shooting, but just simply stopping them, saying, uh, this is a military zone, you're not uh, permitted to walk in here, what are you doing, what's your name, etc. So my dad told me one time, there was a story when he was in the uh, communication truck that... um, they were listening to communication with a sergeant and his uh, squad, which actually said um, there is somebody in the woods. And um, this person was actually with a sort of like a camera or something walking around. And my dad remembers that like yesterday. He said like uh, they were asking what's the deal. So just uh, approach this person, stop him, uh, confiscate his camera and bring him to the uh, Staatssicherheit, to the Stasi. Mm-hmm. And uh, the soldiers were actually approaching this person and said to them, like, uh, please stop uh, moving, pull your hands up, drop everything you have. And this person started to run. And he started to run like in zigzags and stuff like that. And he had his, uh, and the soldiers reported everything directly. So one was on the communication, uh, on the walkie talkie, or, and he said, like, the guy's running around, he has his one hand in the, and my dad was listening to that. So he then started to run in front of him and just uh, the one soldier's like, stop, you know, like uh, drop everything and stop. And he uh, continued to run. So the soldier pulled the, um, the gun, uh, shot once in the air. Uh, this person didn't stop. And then they shot him because, you know, he was approaching them without any anything. So yeah. they, they knocked out uh, the guy. And they, once they got to this body, um, they found the camera. They actually later on developed the pictures. Uh, he had very close pictures of the rockets and everything. Had a German ID, uh, used German ID. Uh, so what happens is then the Germans, where uh, the army was calling the German the Fopo Volkspolizei, mm. they approached. And then, of course, the Stasi was there because this was already something, you know, it's something very big. Here's a maneuver going on with... Uh, uh, rockets, nuclear rockets, and yeah. a guy is running with a camera around and making photos. So uh, they got his body and everything. Nobody was talking about it. And then um, already in late 80s, uh, a lot of uh, people were already just uh, very nasty to the soldiers in general. Uh, but my mom was working in the factory and the people said like guys we are sorry you know some people are like this but we have nothing against you you guys and you know like it's just like the moving thing going on and you know we have a lot of changes coming up very soon so it was it was a very weird time even i as a kid i can i i could feel this that something was going on i i just couldn't i i didn't get it but i could feel there was something wrong Right. You know, so, so the what you're saying, the local population became more hostile to the Soviet army. Not everybody. Not everybody. No, no, just, but, but noticeably, uh, there there were more more hostility than had been seen before. Yes, that's true. That's true. That that's true. When the unrest was occurring in East Germany, did your father say anything about, you know? what orders they were given or or anything like that 
No, my dad said like the, he was mentioning this to my mom, and then also I, I talked already when I was already grown up to my dad about this kind of stuff because I have seen a lot of TV shows and I was I was reading a lot, and he said that some bases uh, which were for example, if they had uh, tactical nuclear weapons and so on, they had the orders to shoot the people by less than five meters if they approached uh, uh, the gate or the barracks. You know, that was because these were very strict. Um, but then there were only a couple bases. In general, uh, they were saying that um, if, for example, something occurs, um, they try to keep, for example, if... A mob, or I, I can't say mob. Uh, this is uh, disrespectful to the people. Yeah. But for example, if Germans, East Germans, say like they are unhappy and they demonstrate in front of the barracks or in front of the gate, um, the command commanding officers said actually uh, do not do anything. Yeah. So just stay on your position. Uh, do not interfere. Do not send out the uh, military police to kick them out. Uh, call the East Germans. The East Germans need to handle that. So that's their um, their territory. That's their uh, duty. So um, I, when I was a little kid, we I have seen at front of the base uh, like uh, a crowd, said like that, of around hundred people, and they said like go back to Russia or Soviet Union, whatever, mm. and so on. And uh, there were no orders given to shoot, of course not, because they didn't do anything. You know, only if they would just try to get into the base, uh, I assume they would have the order to shoot. And, you know, this is an army base, yeah. you know, like you defend, this is proper, it's territory of the Soviet yeah. Union. So you approach a country without, uh, you're not legit to walk in there. Yeah. So. And, but my dad said like, he never received such orders or anything like this, like, uh, the other guys, which were, for example, the tankers and so on, um, they had orders that when somebody approaches that it, it was different from unit to unit. Mm. It was way different. Um, shoot in the air to let people just run around, you know, just say, but not shooting into the uh, into the crowd or it was only those yeah. very secretive bases. Yes, you know? but there, there was obviously a genuine fear that there might be demonstrations whereby those bases could get overrun or um yes 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 wow. but the east germans didn't do that uh, with the special forces or they they didn't do that they understood those guys uh, you can't mess with them they they will do everything and they will go back uh, uh say like this with bloody hands into the bed and sleep like a baby you know yeah. so they they did not uh Mm, upset the special forces. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they, they 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 were only upsetting those guys for the communication, the tankers. But a tank is even worse than special forces, you know. Yeah. So, but again, it was not everywhere. It was just like one base. Uh, I remember. But then after that, the the guys went off, and my mom was working in the uh, in the factory. So, and the next day. Um, she was kind of like a little bit afraid of uh, to go to work because, you know, she was riding the bike and everybody knew that she's riding the bike to the factory and I was there. Um, but then the Germans uh, from the factory said, uh, Miss Smirnova, you don't need to be afraid. Everything's fine. You do your job and so on. This is just happening currently. So yeah. we, we are, it's not our fault. Some people are like this. Some people like that. We, right. We can judge everybody. Right. And, Presumably, you could watch Western TV, so you did have some idea what was going on. 
No, we were not able to. We didn't have that. Um, uh, Western TV, uh, the communication was actually on the base. All TVs were actually very... um, Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War Conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War Uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. I'll just say, in some bases, I know my, my dad told me that they had West TV and they watched it secretly, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, closing into one room and watching it. Uh, but we were actually very strongly in the East German TV, but we didn't care too much. So, you know, like we, we were more like... Radio was sometimes uh, Voice of America was going through, but then uh, the communication guys actually uh, knocked out the signal, you know, like... Uh, they jammed it. Usually, yeah, they jammed it, exactly. Mm. I'm sorry. They, they, they jammed at the signal. Uh, but uh, I remember when my dad, there was like one officer, he invited several sergeants and soldiers to his... Uh, uh, to the house and they had a TV and a VCR so we watched I think one of the first movies I think it was a horror movie in Terminator or something like that <laughs> so it was like something wow you know and I still remember this one I was a small kid and I was scared to death you know like I, I didn't watch it the full thing but when I watched the first time Terminator I was like wow you know like something unusual you never seen that you know this is like wow. yeah and and as a kid of that age never having seen that you, it, it's difficult to distinguish fiction uh, you know the fact it's fiction as well i think uh, yes this was you know <laughs> i could imagine a tank i could imagine a rocket i could imagine a gun but i couldn't imagine a robot you know like i i, I seen them from books funny pictures of robots and stuff like that but that was just cartoons or like a painted robots but here you see a machine walking around so it's like wow mind-blowing yeah, you know? <laughs> no absolutely absolutely how did your parents view the unrest in east germany at the time we have recognized one thing that the entire thing is collapsing. The, the system is collapsing. So everybody was afraid of that, that because a w- civil war could start. Um, and my mom, my brother was already on the base. And my mom, I, my dad, my brother, uh, we, they said, like, we need to move. We need to go. Uh, we need to try to go to the West because, you know, in our home country, there might be a civil war. And my mom was afraid that, uh, I and my brother get involved into it and my father gets killed because, you know, the entire situation was just going out of hands and it was a chaos, big, big chaos. So we, the wall actually already came down and then actually uh, we moved. It was actually the time when we were already moving to the West. Okay, so the wall came down, but you were already planning to 
leave anyway? Well, um, how to say, uh, my, my dad deserted, <laughs> my dad deserted, my dad deserted because he was afraid of, uh, my mom was afraid of the fact that we are going into unknown future. You, you just need to imagine the entire system collapsed. Yeah. You were, you were raised and born in one country and tomorrow this is a completely different country and there's no law and order. And you know by yourself that the 90s until the 2000s were actually the most horrible time for the former Soviet Union. Um, Western people cannot even imagine how worse it was. It was horrible. People were surviving and uh, this is, you have those 90s where you have all those gangsters, all those multi-billionaires coming out, uh, the killing, how many people made suicide and so on. And uh, my dad's... uh, direct commander he shot himself when the soviet union collapsed he said like i i can't i my life is i i'm loyal to the party i'm loyal to my country but now i'm actually nobody so he shot himself yeah no i can imagine i can well i can't imagine it but i can understand that if you've been a true believer in you know, communism, socialism, and and suddenly that just disappears and yeah. those beliefs are completely undermined. Your whole sort of, I don't know, personal compass is, is removed and you just don't know what your purpose in life is. Yeah. My, my dad, by the way, my grandpa, my dad, my mom, anybody from our family was never a party member. So come some old, yes, but uh, my parents, but never a member of the party. Yeah, yeah. So, so you said that your dad deserted. So with the the opening of the wall, he had an yeah. opportunity then to cross over into the West, I presume. Yes, yes he had the opportunity and uh, um, it was actually done. It was a night mission site like that. So we were, we had uh, east german friends who helped us and uh, we moved over there and you know i uh, it's it's a very it's a story where which is giving me still goosebumps because uh, my dad could get shot and so on but when we arrived in west, Ger- west berlin um, we were waiting around uh, 15 hours for our dad because he was uh, walking walking, and then riding the bicycle and stuff like that. And we, my mom was thinking that he got uh, caught and, you know, court-martialed. They could actually, they wouldn't shoot him, but uh, at least like 20, 30 years prison, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. What, what can you remember of that, of that night then, of, of, crossing uh, was, into into west berlin i mean where where you were picked up in a car by your east german it, friends it was it was a truck it was a truck uh we were dry, riding in the truck uh, in the back and when we crossed it, it was already cows so we were doing the regular how to say regular street not the highways or not like the common yeah. streets and uh, and the borders, uh, the entire system, you just need to imagine, uh, the entire system 
collapse at one night. So everybody was just like, there was a shock situation. So everybody was missing a lot of things, what's going on. And we went to West Germany, West Berlin at that night. And there was a long ride. I remember that, like, I, I can remember that bumpy ride uh, on the truck. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we went to one of those stations, uh, pickup stations for sort of refugees. And uh, my dad was already right away contacted by um, what is MI6, uh, the German Secret Service and the Americans. And because, uh, you know, my dad was in the communication. He was an officer. He could provide some information. But uh, I can tell one thing. My dad never did provide any information because he said, like, I was working. But that that's it. I, I have no useful information. And he wouldn't give it out. I mean, like, even he left, he wouldn't do it like others who said like, okay, give me a good life in the United States and I give you the secret, the, the codes for uh, the, the geographical codes where the things are staying, something like that. Mm-hmm. My, my dad, he had access to information, but he never, he, he even talked to me about it. I asked him like several times about it. He never provided me anything uh, useful, said like that for me as a person who loves history. And uh, we were offered to go to the United States, to the UK, my mom said like no because my grandma was in uh, Ukraine so when we go to the United States probably we will never see our grandma mm-hmm. and what happens is then that uh, we stayed in Germany and then we went down they drove us from West Berlin up to Bavaria and uh I honestly can tell you one thing. Even I grew up in Germany, I hate Bavaria because a lot of bad things happened there and I, I have bad memories. I have bad memories. Even I grew up, I went to the kindergarten, I went to the school, I finished my education in Bavaria and everything. I There were good times too, but you know, like probably if we would move to a different uh, state in Germany, like a different, not Bavaria, um, it would be different, but... You see, now I'm here in Ukraine, so I actually, uh, how to say, I washed off the sins of my dad on my own skin. <laughs> I moved back to Ukraine, you know. So yeah, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure they were sins, but uh... no, no. This is like more, uh, more said in terms of uh, that, you know. I could go to the United States. I lived for one year in the U.S. I lived for one year in China. I lived for four years in Ireland. Uh, and I, I could, I can go with my German citizenship anywhere in the world and I can get a job. I don't have a problem with that, but I got to a point that I said, like, I need to go home. I, I'm like a salmon, you know, the salmon yeah. is born in yeah. the lake, moves out, travels in the sea. And then when he's getting yeah. older, he's moving back to the place where he was born. So similar with me and my parents will do the same very soon. They will also move to Ukraine. What was your citizenship status in West Germany? Did you become West German citizens? Just just, just close your eyes and just think of that. We are Soviet citizens. We are not Ukrainians. We are not Russians. We are Soviet citizens. Mm-hmm. We arrive in West Germany. And then uh, the passports of my parents were taken. So we were uh, without citizenship. We did not. Uh, it was like the movie The Terminal with Tom Hanks. You know, like when he was he he was catched in uh, the airport because uh, he stuck in the airport because his government there was a revolution and he lost his citizenship, so he couldn't travel out because he was actually a nobody. And the same with us, 
we were nobody. We didn't have the Russian or Ukrainian citizenship. And we never accepted the Russian or the Ukrainian citizenship. So then it took like, we, we were in Bavaria and we couldn't go out because the last uh, uh, soldiers from East Germany moved, uh, Soviet soldiers moved in 1994. And we lived in West Germany. And of course there were uh, the officers and some units which were basically hunting people. So if we would even go, for example, to Ukraine, they would arrest, uh, for example, the family, you know. So we were staying in, in yeah. West Germany and we could only talk to my grandma uh, through phone, to through... Uh, letters and sometimes when people are were tr already starting to driving around like uh, from our home city and they knew where my parents lived and uh, we, we gave them like uh, supplies uh, food and stuff like this uh, so they can actually send it to my grandma uh, money and etc so we were living there and then only after 94 only after 94 when the last soldiers uh, actually moved out of uh, East Germany and left Germany in general, uh, we visited the army bases where we actually were. So back in the days, there was a lot of vehicles there and stuff. It was more like a, a, it was a call, like check, check the place where you lived, you know? So we went yeah. there and to older I, I was, I was going through the abandoned army bases and I found, for example, army tags and, uh, cups and I actually took that because this was from my childhood whatever happens then it was one thing but I remember those places you know and um, abandoned places is, uh, abandoned army bases is a mo most horrible thing especially when you grew up on them and you remember the the time people were moving laughing buying stuff talking to each other now they're abandoned you know so yeah yeah it must be very um, unnerving and spooky even it was spooky you know i'm i have if i if i tell the entire story story i, I think it's not enough two three hours i we can actually write a book about the family about our family honestly because there's mm. so many things which i have experienced in west germany you know like and it didn't knock me off the feet off the legs you know i mm. i had a hard childhood in west germany a very hard childhood mm. But it did not. Um, I'm not ang angry at all Germans, as I mentioned. I can't be angry at all. There were some a holes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that, that's <laughs> which fair made, enough. Which made my life a little bit hard, and on, not only my, but our family's life. And uh, but I I cannot judge everybody like negatively. But yeah. I like I, I love East Germans. I tell you one thing. I love East Germans. Always when I visit East Germany, not Berlin. Berlin is uh, not anymore the same. But when I go to Potsdam uh, or Rudersdorf or those areas, you know, mm. the East Germans are, they, they have something, you know. And they're, they got stuck in that thing, you know, like the, it collapsed one thing. They love their country, but they do not recognize 200% with the Western part of Germany because the Western part said you are Aussies, you know, you're from East Germany, you know, like you don't have anything. So it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, like yeah. if you went through that once, um, my wife can't identify with that because she is not, she doesn't have that story as I have. But this is also giving me the opportunity, my past, to be very open to things like uh, the conversation now. 
Um, I'm actually very easy to talk to. I'm a very good friend when it comes to uh, that, you know, like if you need help, I will help. Uh, you know, I'm reaching out my hand to assist somebody if the person is either in danger or he needs really help, you know. So it kind of, my past formed my future character. That's how I would I would say. Yeah. No, that was very, very eloquently um put so it, it sounds like you had a very bad experience in bavaria presumably because you were soviet citizens we were refugees so basically you need to imagine one thing you're a refugee you will get put into a truck they drive you to a village which is surrounded by woods those people there have no clue about anything they put you into one house uh, my mom, my dad, I, my brother, we were put into one house and, uh, you know, they came into my parents were starting to clean out the apartment and stuff because, uh, you know, you, you don't go into a dirty, you don't know who was living before. So my mom started to clean everything, you know, wash everything, etc. So people came into the apartment and said, Mrs. Smirnova, do you know how to turn on the light? Do you know the switch is turning off light? It's magic. It's like magic. They thought we were like, sorry, mm. retarded or something like that. I said, like, what the heck? You know, like, just get the heck out of the thing, you know? And they were very weird. And then uh, when I uh, went into the school, and uh, there was, that was from my, that I remember that part. And that's not only the only part when the teacher was said, like, uh, at front of the entire class of 25 students, uh, small, no, it was the second, third class, yeah, third class. He was saying, uh, so boys and girls, do you know actually who started the Second World War? But he, as I uh, assume he was an old Nazi mm. or something like this, you know, like a person who was very tied to the old ideology. And he said, he turned around and he said, he pointed with the fingers. Like, Those Russian pigs actually started the war. So you need to blame him, this person who is sitting in our classroom for everything, which, for example, your grandparents lost and so on. So you can imagine, I was the only foreigner in the class, and they started to beat the, the mm. crap out of me every freaking day, every freaking day. And nobody could do anything. Nobody was doing anything. My parents were not able to talk because, you know, uh, my, my dad understood and he spoke German, but it was not the top, top line yeah. of German, you know. So when you communicate, it was hard. And uh, then we moved to another uh, place and I, I was actually till the eighth class or eighth grade, not class, grade. Uh, I was always the kid in school where I was actually the only foreigner, the only Russian speaking person. So I was bullied for entire eight years. Mm. <laughs> I was bullied every freaking day. And I, uh, I, I, I turned into, I, I was a very nice small kid, you know, like I was always friendly. I helped and everything. And I, I never understood why, why, why do, why, why is it that I'm so different? Why is it that the other children don't want to play with me and so on? And uh, since the kindergarten, this happened since the kindergarten, nobody played with me. I was always by myself. And uh, then I met, I think it was in the fifth grade, fifth grade, uh, we had to, we moved a lot of around. So I w we were ne never in one place. We moved around, I think, around 12 or 13 times because by the German government, they said, like, you need to move from one place to another one. You cannot stay here, you know, like so. And when my parents asked for work, they said, okay, first 
the Germans. Second is the Russian Germans. So the people who have German ancestors but lived in Russia now are immigrated to Germany. Then uh, Turks and everything else, and you are on the last spot. So my parents were forced uh, to work illegally. They were doing a lot of work and getting paid illegally because they couldn't just sit at home and uh, stretch out the hand and wait for the German beautiful government to pay us money. My parents worked the entire life, so they were cut off of that. And uh, ma, they gave us, uh, for the first class, for example, we received those used uh, backpacks for children, and I received one which was absolutely dirty and so on. And my mom said, like, we need to work to make get him the stuff. So they got me a new brand new backpack. And uh, I remember that like yesterday, you know, so, and uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's uh, you know, a lot of things happened. And the most, most interesting part was that when we were talking to the guys from the U.S., uh, guess like it was either the CIA or secrets, uh, NSA, whatever. Uh, there was a guy and a woman, uh, Larry and Jin. Uh, Jin was uh, also like one meter 60. My mom told me the size of my mom. And Larry, <laughs> he was like small, t- smaller than yeah. the, the woman, you know. So uh, they told my parents, like, if you stay here, you will have a little bit harder life. So, like, you need to think twice before you, if you want to stay here in Germany or you want to go with us to the United States. We give you the opportunity to live there. My parents didn't accept that because my mom was afraid that my grandma will die in Ukraine by herself and she will never forgive her that we left my grandma. So that's why we stayed in the, uh, in Germany, to be closer to my grandma. And uh, then, I don't know, it's... It's... It, it is. It's a weird story, honestly. It's, it's a weird I, story. So. Listen, I, I really appreciate you you sharing that. I think it gives it gives a incredible insight into um, the experience of a refugee in a foreign country and also being a child in a in a school where you're you're different from from others in there. You've you've um it's i'm almost lost lost for words i felt i just found that really really powerful you know li- listening to what you were saying there so i i really do appreciate you sharing that with me you know what what i what i want to tell you one thing that for me the english language uh was always something like you know my mom wished uh, that her uh children will uh, speak several languages and here we go you know um, the school time was sort of like a weird time, but my last, when I was in the ninth grade and I was doing the final exam in English, my uh, teacher told me in front of the class, Andre, he, she told me right in the face, you are retarded in English. And my English was very bad. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't express myself as I do now. Maybe I have somewhere an accent. Maybe I say something not the correct way, but I can express myself. I ex- express what I think, how I feel, and etc. So she told me in front of her, like, Andre, you're a retard. You will never learn English, and you're a loser, something like that. And what happens is I chose for my last exam in English uh, the B-29 Flying Fortress. 
that was my exam thing. So I purchased, my, a friend of mine got me from the army base a book about the B-29 Fortress. And I was, um, that maybe sounds very bad to Germans, but I was actually proud of telling her that. That was my reflection on the feelings, how I was actually pulled and kicked, that those machines were flying over your country and they dropped that stuff on, on your people. And I explained that the way, you know, not with pride, I was just like trying to do my best in English. And I had a friend of mine who was, my parents back then were starting to work with the army, with the U.S. Army. So they actually received the contract in 1997 and started to work on the army base for AFIS, for Army Air Force Exchange Services. Uh, so they were concessionaires. They were offering a lot of different things from uh, you know, like those Matryoshka dolls, yeah. the, the business on the base. So it was actually very hard to get to the base. But the first time I was on the army base, I heard English and the f- people on the army base. That's why I I got very locked into that. They were the same like the, the Russians. They were very friendly, but they were even more friendlier. They were very polite. You know, they helped us and everything. And then what happens is the teacher gave me, that's how I got to know the people on the base. They got me books. And, you know, my first words were like, uh, hello, uh, my name is Andre. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. And bye-bye. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And I was selling stuff. <laughs> I was assisting my parents to uh, do the sales on the base, you know. And um, I got this book and uh, I told her the story and she was buffed because everybody was choosing some other thematics and I chose mm. actually the B-29. And then she gave me a four, a D. Even it was a B. And uh, she gave me that and then I left the school and so on. And then many, many, many years later, I was living already in the city of Würzburg. Um, that's where I mostly spent uh, mm. already the time when I was living in Germany. And I was invited on the army base to do an excursion, uh, like um, site, a, yeah, a, tour a tour through Würzburg, yeah. for tour guide for some American officers and sergeants. So I was, I, I already had the German service, but still I was a foreigner telling Americans about the city of Würzburg. So what happens is I have, you can just imagine that I have a group of around 30 people and I walk through the city. So I made a plan. I, I showed that to the MWR that was actually on the army base, the, the group, which was actually in charge of, um, they did the bazaars, the shows, etc., for the army. And I told them like, I will go to this place, this, 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 and I will tell them. So and this is, she, the lady, uh, Mrs. Johnson said like, yes, Andre, you can do this and you can improve your English and so on. So I go up the main street and I have those soldiers and officers around me and I see my old teacher. And that was already around, uh, what is it, like mm. six, seven years after I left school. And I see her and I walk up to her and I say, hello, how are you doing? And she's like, mm, hello, who are you? And I said like, Mrs. So-and-so, I will not tell the name. Do you remember I'm the stupid Russian kid who you told me, like, I will be not able to learn English and so on? Oh, Andre, how are you doing? I said, I'm very well. You know, I'm actually doing a tour, sightseeing tour for my American soldiers or friends from the U.S. Army and tell them the history about your city. I killed her with those words. 
I killed her. I basically, I, I, I stepped on her without physically uh, touching her, you know, and I moved away and I said like, that's it. Yeah. I, I paid off my thing and uh, working on the army base. My parents were also, we were on the army base from 1997 up till 2013 when the army base closed down. So my parents were actually the last concessioners who left the army base. Now it's actually turned into a civilian thing, but a lot of things were destroyed. And uh, I had the best time on the army base. Even it was hard. I helped my parents on the weekends. I did never take off a weekend. I helped my parents always. I do hope you found Andre's story interesting. We have further photos and information in our show notes, which are at coldwarconversations.com slash the word episode and the number 87. This will also show as a link in some podcast apps. Don't forget, if you'd like to get that Cold War Conversations coaster and bask in the warm glow of keeping us on the air, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. Or again, click on the link in your podcast app. And if you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where Andre, our other guests and listeners just like you, continue the Cold War conversation. Just search Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.